This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. She became famous for her passionate defense of our health care system when she testified before a U.S. Senate committee. Now, Dr. Danielle Martin, a physician and health care administrator, has a prescription for us here at home. As Canadians, we love our health care system and we also love to hate it. Money is always an issue, though many advocates say more money won't fix the problems. Some say we have to privatize more of the system. Dr. Martin disagrees, and she's laid out her plan in a new book, Better Now, Six Big Ideas to Improve Healthcare for All Canadians. Dr. Martin joins me now. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first of all, can we quickly go through the six big ideas? Yes, of course. I mean, the most important thing about the six big ideas is that they're all based on a fundamental principle, which is that they're about making changes to our healthcare system that will improve people's health without spending a whole lot of money and without giving up on the value of fairness that uh, I think has really underpinned so much of what we're trying to do in our healthcare system. So they range from cultivating relationship-based primary care for every single Canadian where we can ensure that everybody has access to a family doctor or another primary care provider that they have a relationship with over time. Uh, establishing a national drug program so that everyone who needs life-saving medications in Canada can have access to them because right now, sadly, we have a situation where many Canadians can't afford their necessary prescription drugs. Right. Reducing unnecessary and wasteful tests and procedures, something that's especially important, frankly, for Canadian seniors who are the victims of overprescribing in large numbers in Canada and so many Canadians who are subjected to tests and interventions that can really harm their health, not to mention uh, the waste that that represents in the system. I I think, uh, are people starting to wrap their heads around that? I know that pharmacists are are starting programs of de-prescribing because medications aren't reviewed often enough. But in in terms of the tests, you know, we've all come to think that more is better. I think that's right. And and it is, as you've identified, a real culture shift that needs to happen. So it's not about a single government policy that we can implement. It's actually, I think, a lot of it rests at the level of the individual patient and doctor interaction um, and trying to find ways to have a more um, nuanced conversation about, well, do I really need this test or this prescription? What would happen if we wait two weeks to see if my symptoms will go away? What are the risks of having this procedure or this test done to me um, so that we can begin to have a different um, a different understanding not only of the potential benefits um, and that more is always better philosophy, as you've said, but but also the potential risks to our, our health. So that's a really important, I call this idea, don't just do something, stand there, because actually sometimes it is the hardest thing to do is to... Um, is, is to not subject people to um, tests and interventions, even when we know that those tests are not likely to improve their health and it could actually harm them. 
Um, the, the fourth big idea is reorganizing our existing resources to improve care. And you talked a little bit about this in your introduction, that um, actually there are some parts of the healthcare system in which adding more money is not going to fix the issues that we have. And uh, in fact, in some parts of the system, not all, there's more than enough resource. And so it's not that we need more doctors or more MRI machines or more hospitals or more long-term care facilities, but actually that we need to think differently about how can we organize um, the resources that we've got, particularly when it comes to reducing wait times. Um, and I talk a lot about, uh, especially for um, people who have multiple chronic illnesses, the cycle of going in and out of the eMERGE and in and out of the hospital um, when people experience uh, sort of the expected, expected highs and lows of a chronic illness such as heart disease or lung disease, and how could we be taking care of those people better in their homes and in their communities for much less money and a much better quality of life for them? I'd like to bring in a personal experience here that just completely blew me away. Um, I was treated very successfully, a wonderful treatment for pancreatic cancer at Princess Margaret Hospital. And Amazing. afterwards, I was on a patient committee when uh, that uh, that treatment was reorganized. So when I was there, it was the, the surgeon, the appointments for the surgeon were separate and for the oncologist were separate. Uh, it was all kind of separate. And I've had a number of experiences where I went to see one, you know, sit in the waiting room for three or four hours. They give me results all good. And then two days later, I'm, I'm right. at the oncologist and it's the same thing. And I'm thinking, why am I here? Um, it was reorganized into a clinic situation where you had all the specialists on one afternoon, uh, you know, all being in the clinic at the same time. A nurse went through referrals every two days instead of once a week. And that in itself, that cut wait times by three weeks quickly. Right, and, and that's exactly the kind of example that I'm talking about. We, we have so many instances. I'm, I'm a family doctor. You know, when I refer a patient to see a specialist, uh, even here in downtown Toronto, you know, you can have a new graduate just starting out their specialty practice uh, with basically a zero wait time uh, looking to fill their afternoon clinic. And at the same time, down the hall, a person in the same specialty could have a six-month wait time, even though the services they provide um, are virtually identical. And so what we've seen is that when specialists come together and pool their referrals into a single uh, single basket, if you will, and patients are then just seen by the next available specialist uh, for their problem, or for that matter, when we start to ask the question, well, does this person really need to be seen by the specialist? Or if the family physician had a phone call with the specialist and explained the person's situation, could you get some advice from that specialist that you could go back and implement um, right away? And we're, we're seeing tremendous reductions in weights um, and actually much better continuity of care for patients when in fact, all their family doc needed was a little bit of advice or a recommendation about what to try next for the person. Uh, so there are lots of ways that we can take the resources that we've got and use them better without necessarily having to pour more money in the system. But it does require a willingness to think differently about well, what it is we do. It's not just patients who might, you know, want to go to the top guy. But, you know, again, back to my experience with this committee, the toughest part of it was getting uh, the surgeons to give up their private lists. Right. I think that's, and I think that, you know, there is a, a culture in medicine, and I talk about this in the book, about, you know, the, the tremendous need for physicians to be leaders in this conversation. Um, and I do think that 
I mean, we all go into medicine because we care about patients and we want to help people, but it's just so easy to come to work every day and do things the same way that you did them yesterday and the day before. And so um, starting to have a new conversation about what what is the role of doctors in um, helping to solve system problems um, in partnership with our patients is really important. And, you know, all through the book, I talk about stories of my own patients. I think many of them are stories that your listeners will be able to relate to. We all have friends and family members and our own experiences in the healthcare system um, that that kind of illustrate the need for these reforms and changes. Um, And of course, we are, as you say, all very proud of the healthcare system, but there's much that needs to be done to improve it. And a lot of it requires each of us to be willing to do things differently than we than we're accustomed to. Dr. Martin, there are a lot of people around who say that we need to have more privatized parts of the system and they they point to European uh, countries that have mixed systems and their outcomes are are better than ours. You say that's not right. No, in fact, this is what I call a healthcare zombie. A zombie is a bad idea that refuses to die that no matter how often Uh, The evidence comes forward about its uh, lack of applicability in the Canadian context. It still kind of rises from the dead to greet us. And in fact, what we know is um, there are are virtually no European countries that have the same um, context that we do in our in our healthcare system, where physicians are not employed in the public system. Doctors are uh, private contractors, independent contractors in the healthcare system. Um, and, and the reality of privatization is that when we allow some people to pay privately to jump the queue, I think we forget that their doctor jumps the queue with them. And so we have, you end up with a situation where you can significantly, for example, reduce wait times for those people who can afford to pay, but the wait times just get longer for everybody else. And that's what they saw in Australia when Australia did something similar in the past. So I think... There's just no way around the fact that we're going to need to make improvements to the public system, and I think we want to make them in ways that reinforce the basic value of fairness that our healthcare system was built on. Okay, uh, we have very little time left. Uh, How much of this is a problem that we have basically a different system in every province? Um, I, I think less of it than, than one, one might think. What, one of the problems is, though, that we don't do enough learning from one another so that, and I talk about this in Big Idea 6, spreading and scaling, we need to scale up successes so that if somebody's figured out how to do something really great in Halifax, we're not re- reinventing the wheel in Kingston. And I think that's a really important uh, principle in Canadian healthcare. We don't, uh, we don't do enough um, scaling up of those successful innovations. Okay. Dr. Martin, I'm going to have to let you go. I hope that you will come back because there is obviously a lot more to talk about on this very, very important subject. Uh, The book is Better Now, Six Big Ideas to Improve Healthcare for All Canadians. It's available in bookstores. Dr. Martin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.